Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. We are in 1 Corinthians, and we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? And I will read from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, down through the end of the chapter, verse 34. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers... When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I will give directions when I come. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of us are standing in the back because we just want to stretch our legs, but if you want to sit, there are seats in the front row. You're welcome to join us up here in the spit zone. (laughs) When I was um, in uh, junior high, I have two older brothers. They They were off in college. They came back for a weekend. And we went to this restaurant my parents often frequented, and um, a lot of the same people would go to this place to eat one Sunday after church. A lady comes to our table, and my brothers and I are in a hot debate about the stats of the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. And 
kickoff was at noon, and we had places to be. <laughs> we were eating lunch, and we were uh, anticipating the game. And this woman came and talked to my parents, and, and, and she left. And we hardly even gave her um, even a nod. And my mother came unglued at her son's. This lady left, and my mother looked at us, and she goes, Boys, I am embarrassed. And we were like, I know the Cowboys are horrible. She's, I'm embarrassed because a woman came to our table to talk to our family, and you didn't even acknowledge she was there. I have taught you since you were little that when a lady comes to the table, you stop what you're doing, and you stand up. And I love this because I was the only kid at home. And she's talking to my brothers as though they're back, you know, back at home. It's, yeah, get them, mom. And, and so she starts with my older brother and digs into him. And then my middle brother and then me. And she just lets us have it. And so my mother, to teach us table manners, proceeds to go to every table in this restaurant. Of which my parents knew most of the people. And she asked every matriarch or every woman if they would be so inclined to come say hello to her boys so that she could teach them how to stand for ladies when they come to the table. And for the next 30 minutes, we stood up and sat down, stood up and sat down, stood up and sat down, and it went on and on and on for half an hour. And we missed the kickoff. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul asks the Corinthians, where are your manners? And this passage is the earliest account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And it may, in fact, be the earliest account of the words of Jesus, if we take the book of Mark to be written in the mid-50s, 1 Corinthians and Mark. Mark was probably the first gospel written, were probably written very close together. So this could very well be the first, the first recorded words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is, nevertheless, the most thorough passage in Scripture about the Lord's Supper and coming to the Kyriakon Depon, the breaking of the bread or the Lord's table, or Jude 12 calls it the love feast. You may know it as the Eucharist, or Holy Communion, or the table, or communion. And many of us see this table, and it doesn't mean very much to us. We don't feel anything. We're not really certain of what we should think. And in the quiet moments of the Lord's table, oftentimes we daydream rather than meditate on the finished work of Jesus. Why do we take it? How are we to take it? And when should you take it? First, why? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Well, Paul teaches us in this text that we take the Lord's Supper, first of all, because the Lord commanded it. Look at verse 24. He says, do this in remembrance of me. In, in Greek, this is, a, this is a present progressive, which means keep on doing this. Here in Luke's gospel is the command to continue the practice of this rite, of this sacrament or this ordinance until Christ returns. Communion is a practice of the church. It has been from the very start 
And it is a practice that we will continue to do until the Lord's return. Reason number one why we do it is because the Lord Jesus commanded us to do so. Reason number two. The Lord's Supper symbolizes our unity, our oneness in the body of Christ. Now, if you look at your bulletin, you'll see that there is an outline of what the text says according to Paul's argument, and then there's an outline of how we have to apply it, how it should be communicated and preached. And so, um, you can notice that there are abuses that were committed against each other and against the Lord that basically divides this passage in half. And the second reason highlights those abuses. We are to take the Lord's Supper because it symbolizes our, un our unity and our oneness in Christ. Paul has already introduced the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You may remember we talked about that last spring. He talked about eating food offered to idols. And certainly Paul does not want us to eat food that is offered to idols in the midst of a pagan ritual. 1 Corinthians 10.14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? In other words, participation, the, the word partic participation in 1 Corinthians 10 is the word koinonia, which is fellowship. Is it not a fellowship with the body of Christ? And we know that the body of Jesus certainly refers to his own physical body there in the upper room, but, but it also refers to what the metaphor throughout Scripture in the New Testament is for the body of the church, the people of the church. And are we are not participants together of our unity when we come to this cup and to this bread? We participate in it together. There is one bread, and we who are many are one. For we're all partakers of that one bread, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In other words, even before Paul gets to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he has nothing to commend to them. Usually when Paul says, you know, when it comes to your leadership, yes, it's great that you're following guys who are leading you in the apostles, but... It's not good that you're being divided. When it comes to sex, yes, sex is good, but it should only be in the confines of marriage between man and woman. Yes, food is great, but you should not eat of it when you are in the context that will make another brother stumble because it's in the midst of a pagan ritual or rite. But when it comes to the Lord's Supper of everything he could have talked about and all of the scandalous issues of 1 Corinthians, he says, I have nothing good to say. It is worse that you're meeting rather than better. Because he says here, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. That's classic Pauline understatement. Of course he believed it. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And Paul recognized that the divisions were still under God's sovereign care. And that it was through the divisions that, that people were actually able to, to discern those who were committed to the unity of the body of Jesus, who were trying to keep the gospel at the center of worship, and those who weren't. And so, there were some who were there under false pretense. They were fakes. They were there because they were making it all about them. 
And nevertheless, the church is responsible for expressing its own disunity. When you come together, he says in verse 20, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Verse 22. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Are you despise, do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. You have to remember that Christians in those days did not work off of a seven-day work week like you and I do today. In the Greco-Roman world, there was not a seven-day rhythm to people's work weeks. And so when the church gathered on the first day of the week, it was often a work day for the rest of the Roman Greco world. And so the Christians had to, eat, to worship either early, early in the morning or late, late at night. And there was often a meal associated with their, with their worship. And this meal was called the love feast in Jude 12. It was called the, the Lord's table. It was, it was kind of like a potluck meal where you brought your picnic basket to, to share with other brothers and sisters. But because they had to meet late, late at night, for example, the Corinthians, were, were, when they were meeting, it was very easy for those who were well-to-do financially or who were relatively independent, who had family wealth. And, and they, could, they, could, they could knock off work early and they could go and they could, they could meet for worship. But what about the tradesmen who couldn't get off quite so early? They would come in later. And while those who were fairly wealthy would bring their charcuterie boards and their nice bottle of wine to this potluck supper, right, the tradesmen would bring their, their lunch and they would, they would, uh, they would bring a, a meal of, of, of lesser fanfare. And then the slaves who would come last, the slaves were completely at the beck and call of their masters. And so they would be the ones who walk in the latest of all. And they would be lucky if they had some crusty bread that they were able to receive from their master's pantry. And when the slaves arrived, they would, they would arrive to worship and they would see that the, the wealthy among them had already busted open the bottle of wine or two and they, they, had, they were visibly drunk. They had enjoyed their charcuterie boards and they hadn't saved anything for the rest of the people. It's like if you were to come to a community group and you were to say, hey, it's potluck night. And you're like, you know, you're a little late. And you show up and all those crock pots are totally empty. And, and you bring in your food to share and you didn't really have time. And so you just, you ran by the store and you got hot sauce. And that was your contribution. And you show up with your hot sauce to community group and you're like, oh, <laughs> I guess I'm drinking hot sauce. And this went on and on and on in Corinth. And, and nobody in that church except the ones who came to Paul, Chloe and her people, which they didn't even write about, by the way. This wasn't one of the issues they wrote about. This is one of the issues Paul heard about, and he came unglued. This is not a time of showing off, Paul says. This is not a time for partisan spirit. This is not a time to satiate your physical hunger. It is a time to express your unity around the Lord's table because every division in society had made its way into the church. And Paul says this ought not to be, brothers. In fact, it is in the church where the ground is completely level. 
It is in the church where despite socioeconomic standing or race, it is a place where you can come and worship in unity and in joy. It is a place where you can rest in a world of partisan spirit. Now, I don't see uh, many charcuterie boards or bottles of wine in this room. And most of us are here on time. Um, I don't see any crusty bread. But do you know what the church is full of today? It's full of partisan spirit. Do you know what the church, not this church necessarily, although certainly we are not exempt. You know what the church is full of this day? It's full of tribes. You know what the church is full of today? The church is full of the same social divisions outside, inside. And we of all people ought to be the most humble people in the world because we come together in unity. Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Because the Lord's Supper symbolizes our unity and our oneness in the body of Christ. All the biases, all the prejudices, all the personal opinions and preferences are put away so at the very heart of worship, we remember all of us that we are sinners before God. And by God's grace, he has made us into one body. Amen? It is beautiful to see that. When Lauren and I lived in Dallas, we went to a church called Park City's Presbyterian Church, and there was a, there was a, a man there who was quite disheveled and uh, came to receive the Lord's Supper. And he came to receive the Lord's Supper um, from uh, uh, a man who was a federal judge who had that very week had that person in his courtroom. And friends of the judge knew that and came up to him and, and said to the judge, wasn't that awkward to serve the Lord's table to somebody that was just in your courtroom? And this federal judge, without even skipping a beat, picked up one of those little plastic communion cups and he said, when these things are in your hands, the ground is completely level. The privilege was all mine. That's what the Lord's table is to be about. It is a symbol of our oneness in Christ. Third, it reminds us of Jesus' death. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now, some of you may know that there are great disputes across Christendom about what exactly is communicated in the bread and the wine. And I don't have time to go into the details of exactly how Jesus' body is present, except to say this. It is not physically present as some believe. Nor is this merely a memorial where we simply just remember what he did on the cross. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is here spiritually by his spirit. And he intends to change you in and through it. But twice it says in this passage that we are to remember. We are to remember 
And so how are we to practice the Lord's table? Well, we are to remember the Lord's death. Isn't that what the text says? Do this in remembrance of me. There's a story in the, in the last book of the Lord of the Rings when, uh, when Pippin, who's, who's one of the main characters, is standing at the gate of the fortress, and the, the gate has been destroyed, the walls have been breached, and the, the, the demon king is about to come and destroy all the people inside the city. And just as it looks like they are done for, Pippin hears in the distance a horn. And the king of Rohan comes and he rides to his death. And in so doing, he saves the city. And from then on, every time Pippin hears a horn blowing the distance, he just bursts into tears. <laughs> and his friends are like, what's wrong? And the sound of the horn was for Pippin a tangible reminder of his salvation of going through life. He knew that he was alive because the king had come and he had died for him. And he, he knew this all his, uh, uh, all the time. But Tolkien says, but Pippin knew it in a deeper way. And so also the Lord's Supper is our horn blowing in the distance. We remember Christ's death and we remember it in a deeper way. Now, why is this so important for us to do as a church? Like, why do we do this every week? Just think about all the things that a church has to do over the course of a year. There's discipleship programs to develop. There's community groups for you to attend. There's counseling to have. There's planning for the year. There's events to host. There's, there's teams to, to raise up. There's elders to, to call. There's, there's, um, there's buildings to manage. And there's, there's facilities to plan for. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's marriage conferences to attend. There's new friendships to form. I mean, it is, it is possible to, to go on and on and on and on and on and on and on about a church. And only spend a few momentary and fleeting min uh, minutes meditating on the death of Christ in the whole of the Christian year. And it is interesting, and maybe even a little tragic, that Jesus knew us so well to know that it would be inevitable that the church would be distracted by so many legitimate and good things. They instituted, together with baptism, a sacrament with visible signs that were pictures of his death. And so when you come to the supper every week, we come in the midst of all of the busyness of the church and of your life and of mine, of remembering Jesus' death. And for some of you, you know, you think, well, we do it every week. It could get a little rote. It could get a little you know, hackneyed. We'd get bored by it. Most of us don't, when you are in love with your spouse, you don't get bored expressing your love to them. In the same way, when you come to the supper, may we not get ever be bored of coming into the presence of Jesus in our communion together with him. If you have a hard time uh, taking the Lord's Supper, let me just very practically encourage you in this way. When you take your cup in just a minute, when you do it in the four corners of the room, and when you take your glass of wine. Look across the room and see every person. We are united together by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in some mystical yet real way, 
Your behavior over the course of the week affects them. The way you sing and worship affects them. The way you prepare on Saturday night for worship on Sunday affects them. We are. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We are organically and spiritually connected one to another. Not just because we know and have friends in this room, but because we are the body of Christ. We are intimately connected with one another. And one of the hardest things in your story is the fact that you've been to churches where that was either de-emphasized or it was trivialized. And there are deep wounds because you were cut off from those that you once loved. And in the Lord's Supper, we are re-memberizing. We are coming together again to remember his death for us. Fourth, the Lord's covenant, or the, the new supper is a seal of the new covenant. The Lord's supper is a seal of the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And with those words come a whole biblical theology. The Old Testament promises all point to Jesus. We've been given the spirit of God in our hearts with Jeremiah says it has been given to the young and the old, male and female. We have a new law written upon our hearts. Ezekiel says that we will be overrushed, over, overcome with the Spirit of God as we have a new heart placed in us and our heart of stone removed. Joel says that your sons and daughters will prophesy no matter the age. This promise is for you and for your children, male and female. This promise is for you. And by God's Spirit, Jesus is in our midst because our God is a covenantal God who is faithful to his promises. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we can say with Paul and Philippians that God is faithful to complete the good work that he began in us. Philippians 1.6. Why? Because Jesus' death sealed it. Fifth reason why the Lord's Supper ought to function evangelistically. Verse 26. For as often as you eat of this bread and you do drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word to proclaim is to proclaim to preach, to share. It is, it is the kerygma of God. It is assumed that when the Lord's Supper is practiced, there are those in the room who do not believe. And so I know that there are some of you in the room who are new to this church or you're new to coming to the Lord's table or who you don't yet believe. And what we're going to do in a little bit is going to feel really strange. We're going to take bread. It's real bread. And we're going to take a little cup of wine. And that bread represents the body of Jesus. He's spiritually here. He's not physically there. He's, he's, he ascended to heaven. And the wine represents his blood. The blood of his promise to us to be the only one who could come and die. The sacrifice of sacrifices so that we wouldn't have to work our way to heaven as if we ever could. And if you're here and you're not yet a believer, I encourage you just to, to watch the believers who take the Lord's Supper. Watch them as they meditate, as they confess their sins, as they walk in repentance. And watch them as they take of the, the body and the blood of Jesus. And, and would you pray that the Lord might open your heart to believe again? Paul intended for the Lord's Supper to be evangelistic. 
And whereas some churches will say, well, this is a little bit like a secret society here. It's only Christians who can take and only Christians who can come to worship. No, worship is to be doxological evangelism. All of worship is to be the praise of God before the world. Sixth, this is to be a temporary rite because we are to proclaim his death until he comes again. One day we will have no need for the Lord's Supper because we will be at the banquet table of the Lamb with the Lord in glory. And so it is to be temporary. And we take it in anticipation of the Lord's return. And lastly, we ought to take the Lord's Supper because it is a rite or an R-I-T-E or a sacrament of self-examination. Verse 27 Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. And let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats and drinks judgment, they eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. This is an opportunity to examine yourself. Now, in the history of the church, some of you know that there are great debates on if, if circumcision in the Old Testament correlates to baptism in the New, and that, was, that would be given to children. Well, then the Lord's Supper should be correlated. It's, it's the Passover in the Old Testament, and therefore um, the Lord's Supper should be given to all those to whom the Passover was given, which would probably include children in that, in that family. So why don't children come and take the Lord's Supper? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 seems to be a universal command to everybody in that room. And it's safe to assume that there are probably also children in that room, although it is an inference. And so, it is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves, adults or children, upon do we recognize the body of the Lord? Do we recognize that we are part of of something far bigger than ourself. Do we recognize Jesus' presence among us, that he is at work by the power of his Holy Spirit to continue to mold us and shape us? And we come eager to examine ourselves, lest we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Today, the idols of Corinth no longer exist, gold and figures and goddesses and stars and moons. We don't tend to worship those things. But if we are nourished in Eucharistic communion together, then we are the ones to recognize by faith that our idolatry of power, our idolatry of selfish ambition, our idolatry of money, our replacement with our passions, with politics, ought to be the idols that we lay down. And we are able to say it is because the finished work of Christ that we come. How are we to come to the Lord's table? Very quickly. How are we to endure the day of polarized politics? We remember Jesus and his death for us in communion together with him. How shall we share the gospel with our neighbors? We are motivated by the truth that we remember Jesus and his death for us in communion together with him. How shall we be concerned for the holiness 
of our own lives in the daily fight against temptation, we remember Jesus and his death for us in communion together with him. The Heidelberg Catechism says, How does the Holy Supper remind you and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and all of his benefits? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. And with the command comes these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth this bread and this cup, it gives me the sure signs of Christ's body and blood so surely as he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. We are to come to the table remembering Jesus' death for us in communion together with him. And like that judge in Dallas, you recognize that the floor is level at the foot of the cross. When are we to come to the table? Simply put, we are to come to the table when we are able to do what 1 Corinthians 11 calls us to do. We are to be members of a church and get standing where the gospel is preached. We are to be baptized. This is all assumed in 1 Corinthians. This is a church he's preaching to and he's inviting into. We are to come humbly. We are to come with anticipation. We are to come remembering his death. We are to come to know that we are part of the new covenant people of God. And we are to come chiefly by faith. Because in this supper, he intends to change you by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you've never come to the Lord's table, then maybe today is a day of salvation for you. If you've daydreamed when you watch people at the Lord's table, then maybe today is the day to meditate on his death for you. If you haven't remembered why you come to the table week after week, then maybe it's the day to hear the horn in the distance like Pippin. And to remember that a king has ridden into the city and he has given his life to save you. Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. Hallelujah. Prepare our hearts to come to this table. Father, would you nourish us as we come to the table this morning, reminding us of your death? Would you help us to see both the beauty, the majesty, and indeed the mystery of it? And in this rite, may we all be unified by the beauty of Jesus' presence among us. Lord Jesus, would you nourish us through your sacraments, these physical, visible signs and seals of your covenant promise. And would you make us one together. Where there is division in this room, would you help us to fight for reconciliation even before they come to the table? Lord, would you convict to move men or women to reconcile with each other? Would you help us to examine ourselves and to come in joy? And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, 
please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.